I speak in the name of God, who is lover, beloved, and love sharer. Amen. One of the most satisfying things that I get to do is to teach Episcopal 101. It's an introductory course to what I call historic Christianity. And because of the confusion in many uh, American minds between Catholic Christianity with a small c and Roman Catholicism with a large c, which is a predominant but not an exclusive transmission of Catholic Christianity, the word historic seems to work better for us. And we've just completed the first three sessions on Christian essentials, where we've asked three questions Who is God? Who is Jesus? And what is the church? And these are not so much three separate questions as three linked aspects of a more fundamental question. Being human, who am I? For me, this is the really exciting question. What excites me is not finding an answer so much as being invited into a deeper reflection that begins to address some of the burning and burdening questions that are always on my heart. And our heartfelt question takes various forms and is a question about our core identity. Who am I? Where am I going? What do I long to become? And responding to these questions points us to the realization that we are made in the image of God. Now God first identifies God's self in the first chapter of Genesis where surprisingly God uses the possessive pronouns us and our, not me and mine. Where God says, let us make humanity in our own image. And if we're made in God's image, then we are like God We are communal, and we are relational. And in Jesus Christ, God's self further reveals that it's in the form of a human face and a human life that we become most like God. Therefore, to be made to be fully human is the reflection of the communal and relational image of God. And in Jesus we see God's picture of full human likeness, which is very close to God's self-likeness. God is communal. God is relational. And in the deep and wonderful mystery lying at the heart of our doctrine of the Trinity, we see what we most long for is to be part of a community and to grow in and through relationships with one another. 
And one of the places this longing is met is in the community of the church. Like other aspects of human experience, the communal identity, though often far from perfect, is where we are met by God and where we are nurtured and grow into a vision of being human that moves us beyond the limitations of our own individual and social imagining. And this brings me to the gospel reading for today. And in a way, I've been wrestling with it all week. Because the trouble with some of these stories that we get in Luke is that they have long and traditionally trite interpretations. You see, you might think the text is straightforward, but perhaps one of the things that I hope that we discover together, Sunday by Sunday, is that all the things that Jesus is reported to have said in the Gospels are far from straightforward. And my comments about the current course of 101 help to open this text beyond the trite traditionalist interpretation of bad Pharisee, good toll collector. This approach to the text goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a self-righteous Pharisee, a.k.a. Mr. Self-Assertion, pious, upright, self-satisfied, and a general turn-off for anyone thinking about belonging to the church because he is the dark side of the stereotype of good Christian church-going. And given the strong competition between the Pharisees and the early followers of Jesus, a competition that results not from their differences, but from their similarities. The gospel writers, Luke among them, tend to present the Pharisees as straw men. You know about straw men, they're easy to knock over. And so consequently in this interpretation of this parable, the Pharisee is unfavorably compared to the toll collector, who, while certainly not a very good man, is nevertheless humble. So at the heart of this interpretation, pride is compared with humility. And I think this is a pernicious interpretation because it portrays God as a very human-like judge distinguishing between the good and the bad, the deserving and the undeserving. And of course, we gloat in our identification with the toll collector. We are of one in our protest and, and uh, despising of the Pharisee. And thereby we fall into the very same fault that we condemn in the Pharisee. For we are thinking to ourselves, Thank you, Lord, that I am not like the stereotype of that self-righteous and hypocritical good churchgoer sitting next to me. <laughs> it is true. We are not like the Pharisee in this parable. Most of us 
do not fast. And most of us certainly do not tithe. And yet, to be honest, being in the middle of an annual stewardship renewal campaign and looking at the projected budget figures for 2014, I want to say, God, give me a few more Pharisees around here. I mean, the man tithes, not just on what he's obligated to tithe on, but on the whole of his income. We could certainly do with a few more like that round here. And the point of this parable is not the simplistic duality of piety, bad, humility, good. The Pharisee is to be commended for a careful attention to his accountability before God. And maybe we should all be more like him. God desires that we also take seriously our accountability for the gifts entrusted for our enjoyment. And this parable highlights two attitudes. The Pharisee's attitude, it's true, is one of pride. Pride in his own accomplishments, leading him to judge and to despise his neighbor. And Jesus criticizes this attitude on the grounds that the self-assertion of spiritual accomplishment cuts the Pharisee off from feeling any need for God's mercy and any solidarity with others in his community. The attitude of the toll collector is commended because despite his despicably sinful life, and we are talking here about probably a very, very nasty man who is engaged in a very nasty business. I call him the toll collector, you see, because he's not the racketeer at the top of the mob. Not like Zacchaeus, the tax collector. This is a, a, thong, a, a, a strong arm thug whose job is to go about, through extortion and threats of violence, collecting money from people to pay the toll, to hand to his boss, to recompense his boss for having already fronted the cost of the tax to the Romans. So we're not talking about a very nice man here. But we are talking about a man who knows his need of God. You see, this parable is about relationality. We are all much more like the Pharisee than the toll collector in reality. Because the Pharisee is a very modern man in the sense that he feels independent of God's mercy. He has enough wealth and power 
to give him the impression that he controls the spiritual aspects of his life. He doesn't need anyone and he doesn't need God. He knows for what he's accountable and he gives a good account. His piety is not hypocritical or or insincere. The problem is not his piety but his omnipotent narcissism. Feeling in full control of the spiritual and material aspects of his life leads him to place confidence not in the mercy of God but in his own self-confidence, his own self-sufficiency. And hence he feels independent of God and superior to everyone else around him. And Luke notes that in the temple he stands by himself. And I picture him insulated from others around him. And in giving a good account he seems to need nothing from God in return. And his prayer of spiritual self-assertion cuts him off from any sense of being in community, which is the essential element, I would contend, for a fuller human spiritual experience. And the toll collector, so deeply compromised by his life, has nothing but to fear being in the presence of God. And Luke gives us a picture of him standing far off, way back. A picture of him gripped with longing for God while at the same time being afraid to even raise his eyes to heaven. And he fears to trespass upon God's love and mercy. And his prayer is a contrast to spiritual independence. It's a prayer recognizing his complete dependence on God's mercy. And Jesus comments that this man, despite his despicable life, understands something that the Pharisee misses. And both the Pharisee and the toll collector receive something in spite of and not because of their situation. Righteousness on its own cannot earn God's love, yet neither can sinfulness disqualify us from God's love and mercy. Now the issue here is about our attitude to life. And our attitude to life either fosters or, fosters or insulates us from being in relationship with God or it connects us to God through our relationships with one another. You see, relationship with God, as our tradition understands it, is not possible outside of being in relationship together within the faithful community that is directly addressed by God. Episcopalians are heirs to the historic tradition of Christianity. And we understand that our relationship with God is through baptism into the cross-bearing 
and saving community of the church. And whatever God invites us into on an individual and personal basis, it pales in comparison with what God invites us into through our relationship within the faithful community. And so during these weeks of our annual renewal, God invites us to a deeper connection with gratitude. We are also reminded of our responsibility to be accountable. And one of the things we are accountable for is our contribution to the building up of the quality of the life that we share together. Three weeks ago, I termed this as our need to feel that we can make a difference in the world. And this parable transforms the question, who am I, into the only proper question we need to be asking, which is, who are we discovering ourselves to be in this community of faithfulness at the intersection of Roosevelt and Central. Amen.